Hey everyone, I'm Robbie Cornpoint. I'm Daniel Mullen. I'm Angelo Costanza. I'm Marco Flores. I'm Marcelo Garuska. I'm Ian Fife. This is Cassio. And you're watching. 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 And you are watching Pure Bread Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. G'day guys and welcome to the Pure Bread Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. I'm your host, Ellis Gelios, coming to you with an update, all things Adelaide United. And I'm very, very happy to be joined for the first time by in daily journalist Spiro Karanikos Mimis. Spiro, great to have you on the show. Uh, you've covered Adelaide United for a great number of years, uncovered some uh, very big stories. You broke the uh, Isa East transfer story to Qatar last year, among many other things. Um, it's a bit of a strange time at the moment. How are you personally? Um, good, mate. I, I can't complain. I'm very fortunate to have a... Um, a job, um, so writing for Indaily isn't my, my main job. I have another day job which hasn't been affected at all by what's happened. So I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, I just want to say to everybody out there, stay safe. And, uh, you know, for those of you who've hit some hard times because of this, you know, strange, strange situation, you know, we're all with you. So best of luck to anyone out there who's trying to find their feet. But um, touch wood, I wasn't too affected. So can't complain. Yeah, and we all certainly echo that statement, mate. Now, as I touched on before, it's a very strange time. It's been a whirlwind 12 months for Adelaide United from the highs of winning the, uh, the 2019 FA Cup, uh, which certainly feels like an eternity ago now to the uncertainty we're all facing at the moment. Uh, what have you made of it all and how you feel about the future as a fan before journalist? As a fan before a journalist, well... Um as a fan, I, maybe I'm in the minority, but I'm actually very positive about what I've seen with Adelaide United over the last month. I think if you're going to be realistic about the A-League and the clubs that live in the A-League, they have to be selling clubs. And, you know, it was only a couple of years ago that fans were crying out for, the, um, for opportunities to be given to local talent. What comes with that, though, is if the local talent succeeds, is that... They're going to want to take that next step. And, I mean, I don't know any young man or young woman who want to uh, play football at the highest level to say, you know what, I'm happy to stay with Central Coast Mariners for 15 years. You know, they, they obviously want to go to the next step. And, and part of that is having a club that's willing to accept that and provide those opportunities and, and help players work towards that. So, you know... I think, I think, you know, whilst it's disappointing to lose players of the calibre of Maluznich and McGree and, and Brooke and, and the likes is, of course, you know, you have to take it that it's part of the reality of our game. You know, if we're playing Aussie rules and they went from, you know, Carlton to Essendon, you'd say, all right, fair enough, that, that really stinks, you know. But in our game, it's a global game. And, and, you know, going from Adelaide United to Birmingham or to Brentford or even to Greece, the second division, well, actually, maybe not so much the second division in Greece. That one there is a bit of a strange competition. But but you get what I'm saying. Getting players overseas and living their dreams, you know, you can't stop it. So I'm I'm very uh, positive about the way the club has handled all of this. I mean, Jitte said from day one, Ellis, that, you know, he doesn't want Riley to be around for three years. He wants him to go. And they never hid the fact that they were going to sell him if the right offer came and if he played well. Riley did what he had to do. He played well. He, he lived and breathed the club for another year and he's got his opportunity. So, you know, all good from me. Of course, they have to recruit well and they have to t uh, try and bring players in that will um, fill those gaps. They're big gaps to fill. 
but they have to do that right, of course. Otherwise, you know, fans will be disappointed. But, you know, as far as letting players take the next step in their career, no problems. Beautiful. Now, uh, you have penned an article very recently, just came out yesterday, which is an exclusive chat with Bruce Dutte. Very much encourage everyone to go and have a read of that. Um, very, very lengthy interview with Bruce. Um, he pointed out to you that the club is look, uh, willing to look far and wide if it has to for a new keeper, striker, and what he called a reinforcement of the defence. Uh, Joey Gauci, the young goalkeeper, and Don Costanzo are the only players to come in uh, so far. And going off with his statement to you, what type of signings do you potentially foresee us making? Look, I think there's no... Oh, sorry, Ellis, I, I would just say that Technically, Noah Smith is a is a new signing yeah. too. I mean, he was with the the youth team, but he wasn't on a scholarship contract. He's been given one now, so that's a technicality. But anyway, yeah. you know, neither here nor there. Um, look, I, I think left back for sure. I mean, I don't I don't mind Kiddo at left back, but there needs to be someone else in that position because um, you know we we rarely see Kiddo play a whole season um, either at left midfield or left back. He he tends to take one or two knocks a year. So I, I definitely think left-back. I think they'll look for a centre-back. Though, you know, Verbeek was pretty happy with Maroney's flexibility there as far as being able to cover right-back and centre-back. But I think you need one more. You know, the the midfield starting three right now, you know, assuming there's no injuries or no bad, um, you know, bad occurrences between now and the start of the year, it looks probably like Dorigo, Mork and Troisi. And you could probably live with that with Constantopoulos coming back. But they might look to add one more player in that central three. And obviously, they need a striker. Um, you can't just have Yengi and uh, Al-Hassan um, carrying the load for the year. They're still young players. They're going to be hot and cold as young players are. You know, the interesting part of that conversation with Bruce, he didn't really fully close the door on getting Christian Obseth back. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I get the feeling that it's probably unlikely, but he didn't completely rule it out. I, I, I'm told that they really wanted him to stay, but it was an issue with money and squad sizes and stuff like that. Um, and I think Christian showed that in the right structure, um, which was for him under Viet, that he can score. Uh, but they definitely need someone up front and possibly someone uh, to fill a spot on either either flank. But, you know... Uh, I think I think Adelaide's actual starting eleven isn't too bad, so it's about making it better uh, or providing some good depth. Because yeah. after eleven or twelve, it, it does it, currently it falls away a little bit with the players that have gone. But I think they're the key positions they'll look to fill. And obviously, they want a, a, a another keeper. Now, I'm not sure if uh, young Ethan Cox or Dakota Oshenham yeah. are, are ready to start. Joe Gauchi's obviously had a long apprenticeship at Central Coast and Melbourne City, had a spell at Adelaide City in between that. Um, I'm not sure if he's penciled in as first-team keeper or not. So it'd be interesting to see who they uh, bring in to supplement that and whether it would be a backup to Gauchi or a first-team keeper. I was kind of thinking maybe they'd be tempted by Mark Birigidi, but he's just signed another extension to, uh, to his deal at Central Coast. Um, so who knows? Who knows? What about my Bush? Yeah, Daniel Margush is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, he, he went to Perth for more opportunities and just hasn't got him. He's fallen behind. Well, he's not even in sort of the pecking order. Liam Reddy's got that sewn up. The thing is, I suppose, Margush was probably thinking Liam Reddy's closer to the end of his 
career, so my chances might come quicker than me being understudy to Izzo. But now that Izzo's gone, I mean, if Daniel Margush wants to come home, absolutely, I think he's a fantastic keeper. But he, he might not be ready to, to come home. So um, if he's there, absolutely. Uh, but it would be his decision, of course. Okay, and in the event that he doesn't come back, what are some names that you'd float? Yeah, it's interesting, really. There's not, you know, Australia's never had an issue with goalkeepers. And you look at the quality of the goalkeepers across the league, it's pretty it's pretty good. I, I don't know who they'd go to just off the top of my head. I mean, you know, Tanderville Harpy's someone who's always sort of floating around, but I think his time's past it. Uh, you know, there's just not, not a lot out there. Anyone overseas? Um, well... I don't. I don't think Adelaide United will fill the goalkeeper spot with a foreigner. So I think they'll. What, what's obvious is that they only can probably accommodate one or two more foreigners in the team. Um, so they probably will look for outfield players. So I think they'll look for an Australian keeper. Um, you know, MPL wise, there's some some good players, but I think the three youngsters they've got in the the squad in goals probably take those spots from other MPLs players. So it's about finding a first-team keeper. And off the top of my head, it's going to be a tough search. I mean, Federici signed for MacArthur. Um, so there's not a lot out there. It'll be interesting to see where they land with it. Absolutely. And it is a fascinating conundrum, the goalkeeping situation, because if you look at where we were about 12 months ago, uh, we were very well stopped. And uh, for whatever reason, Gary Amber-Bake decided that he preferred Isaac Richards in the pecking order to Mark Bush, which is why Mark Bush moved to Kirk Glory. Isaac Richards, mm. after Greg Amber-Bank left Adelaide United, decided he didn't want to be a goalkeeper anymore as a profession, and now we have no more bush. So it's funny how football works sometimes. Yeah. But uh, we'll move on. Let's talk about our offensive uh, signing in Don Costanzo. Uh, now, he was with us as a youth player not long ago. In fact, this last season in the FPL. So cracking year with Croydon. He was uh, perhaps unfortunate to have been announced as a new signing in the midst of uh, a number of high-profile players departing, which has taken the gloss off a bit, uh, dare I say. But it is worth uh, pointing out how good he has been in the NPL this year, which is a competition you cover uh, very much extensively at in daily. Now, tell us what we can expect from the son of the club legend, Ange Costanzo. Yeah, first father-son signing to coin another AFL term. And, and um, you know, hopefully it's the one of many sons or daughters that end up playing for Adelaide United. Um, look, you know, Dom's had an excellent year at Croydon. He's really sort of taken that next step. I don't know what changed or what clicked for him, but I think he's something like 14 or 15 goals from 18 games at Croydon, leading the line. And, you know, the NPL is a, a pretty tough competition for a lot of 18-year-olds, and he's just uh, really, really um, taken everything before him. Now, you know, again... I, I reiterate the words that Bruce said in, in the article. You know, there's there's not enough spots for all our youth team players to uh, play for Adelaide United. There's a finite amount of spots. Dom, listen to what we said. We, we told all our players from the uh, program a couple of years ago to go back, get games, improve, and we'll consider you. He said some players don't cope with that. They, they, they feel let down. He said Dom, Dom did all the right things and we brought him back. And he'll be earning, you know, a will be earning the scholarship contract, which is the minimum wage. But that's pretty good for an eighteen-year-old. You know, it's I think it's about thirty something thousand dollars a year. That's that's nothing to be sneezed at when you're eighteen years old and playing professionally. So he's done all the right things. 
He's a pacey forward. He's a clinical finisher. He's very good on the dead ball. If you watch a lot of his highlights in the um, Football SA Facebook page, um, they, they do the goals of the week, of course. You'll notice that he, he takes a lot of free kicks. He scores them. He assists. So he's one of those players, I think, that Adelaide will definitely um, have in mind maybe for the next couple years. Uh, I, I think you might see him probably... Um, get a few opportunities from the bench. I'm not sure if he's ahead of Al Hassan or even Cassini Yengi right now and any other striker they bring in. But I think for Adelaide, he's a project player and he's shown enough in the NPL this year to suggest that there's enough talent there to make him a starter eventually. So that's a really exciting signing. And you're right, it kind of flew a little bit under the radar in the midst of all the stuff that happened this week. Um, but, you know, you put you put... Um, MPL striker who scored 14 goals in 18 games signs for A-League club and that's a headline most Australian soccer fans want to read it just right. got lost in the wash this week so you know it's a, it's a great it's a great signing for Adelaide yeah absolutely they're a busy bunch at the moment down in the media department on Manton Street uh, so just looking at that article there Spiro uh, touching on another of the key elements in it which is the re-signing of our key centre-back Michael Jakobsen, Bruce Dutay uh, very much went on to point out how vital it was that they got that piece of business done to keep the Dane in Adelaide for another year. Uh, do you echo his thoughts on that one? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would have been very harsh if Adelaide had decided not to re-sign Michael Jakobsen. I mean, if you, you think about the fact that he became captain last year after just one season at the Reds, head of players that have been around for a, a, a lot longer, it probably shows you the esteem that the playing group ha, ha, did hold him in and still does. Um, Michael Jakobsen has been a leader for the playing group for a while now. During the death throes of the Kurz era when there was a lot of behind the um, scenes issues going on. It was actually Michael Jakobsen who was a pillar of strength for a lot of those players. So I'm not surprised that the, the club um, re-signed him and I'm even less surprised that the players kind of pulled Jitte aside and said, we want him around. You know, some people might say at 34 years old, is he a little bit past it now? I think he's still got one good year, if not two, left in him. He is a very good player. And you don't get many left-footed centre-backs of that calibre floating around. Um, so I think it's a it's it's a uh, logical and, and, and good re-signing for Adelaide. And he's the type of person you want in your club. He's a leader. He's a good representation off the park for the club. You know, I've met him out and about, um, you know, uh, being frank at the Royal Adelaide show at the Adelaide United stand, and he was um, he was just you know a, a exemplary in his sort of communication and the way he dealt with fans. So he ticks all the boxes for the Reds, and and it made perfect sense to re-sign him. Yeah, and I also just don't think there's really anyone they could upgrade on him. So uh, yeah, it is absolutely a critical re-signing. Now you've got some mail on uh, the finer details surrounding the departure of Nikola Milosevic. Uh, do you want to just expand yeah. on that, Prosper? Yeah, so I've uh, actually been informed that um, Nikola Miluznic was uh, told uh, by the club that um, if he found another club, they wouldn't stand in his way. Um, my my information from um, sources um, outside the club who are who are privy to this information 
have uh, said to me that um, Carl suggested to Nicola that maybe he wasn't the type of player he wanted moving forward and um, said they would obviously respect his contract if he decided to stay, but opportunities might be limited for him, hence why he's actually moved to Randers on a free transfer. And you'll note the language in the media releases around Nicola's departure and um, the players we sold, so your Izzo's, your uh, Brook and your McGree's, is very different. Um, Maluznic has went something like, you know, he's taken up an opportunity overseas, whereas the Adelaide United, uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 the media department in the other articles uh, said, we've come to terms with a club over the transfer of Riley McGree. So it was worded differently. Um, so there, it's highly probable that the information I've received is accurate, that Nikola Maluznic was actually told that opportunities will be limited for him next season. So, you know, and Nikola, to be fair, I, I have I have been one of his most vocal critics, um, uh, but I had come around in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. I thought he was superb towards the back end of the Kurz era and in the early part of the uh, Verbeek era, fell away towards the end of the Verbeek time and then obviously got injured and didn't play any role in the post-COVID uh, bubble games. Um, but on his day, Nicola was unstoppable, but sometimes he could be a little bit hot and cold. And um, he'd come a long way, um, and I think uh, this move might actually be better for him in the sense that once he gets into that sort of European conditioning and, and training I think his game will develop it even more. So I think it's a win for him. And obviously, being that Adelaide United, well, Carl, uh, I've been told, didn't see him in his plans and in his lineup. It's probably a win for them too. Yeah, look, I think with Nicola, it's always been his X factor that's uh, really been the biggest strength he's had. Uh, but I think the issue with him has been that, uh, you know, we've really been waiting for this breakout year from him where he just, you know, he's consistent from start to finish. And we just haven't seen it yet. So I don't think that, um, you know, it's the end of the world to lose him. But uh, you are right when you say that he's certainly improved, uh, you know, a long way since uh, that sort of 2017 period where he started breaking out into the team. Uh, you have uh, endorsed the view that fans should be proud of the fact that Adelaide United is selling more players to Europe uh, more than any other club in the league at the moment, uh, rather than bemoaning our inability to retain our stars. Uh, now, I want to ask you this. Um, is there a danger of our younger generation of fans becoming increasingly disenchanted as supporters because of this, given that uh, it is becoming increasingly unrealistic that their favourite player or players will stay for longer than 12 months these days? Is that an issue? Yeah. Look, that, that's a really good question, Ellis, and I, I suppose I should provide some context um, to, my, to my comment that you raised there. You know, a lot of people were bemoaning the fact that we lost those four players. But it's, I, I, it all, we should actually wear it as a badge of honour. I mean, you know, everyone talks about Melbourne City being the gateway to Europe or to Asia because of the amount of clubs that the City Group has under its umbrella. But it just hasn't eventuated. You know, with the exception of Aaron Moy and maybe Daniel Arzani, maybe you could say that was a potentially a successful example. There hasn't been anyone else, not as far as I can recall. And you look at players like Kamau, Lockie Wales now, and, and some others, you know, Ruan Tonic, who all went to Melbourne City under this guise that 
this club will give me the opportunity to play at the next level. It hasn't eventuated. So, you know, at Adelaide United, that has eventuated. And, and you know, we should be proud of the fact that we are developing players who are capable of taking that next step. But I also understand perfectly the, the logic in your question because, you know, as, as, as fans, we get attached to players, don't we? we, and, we and we go to games to see people play, you know. It was hard to lose Isaias and Goodwin, you know, in one, um, in one season because Goodwin was so good and, you know, Issa basically, you know, bled for the club uh, and was such a leader. So it's hard. But, you know, I think we've got, to, we've got to keep it in perspective constantly. The club will always be there and the club will always come first. And, you know, you look at sort of the culture of European football where people will always say to you, the club is always bigger than the individual. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and the same rings true here. And for the club to be successful and for Adelaide to continue being successful, they need to be seen as a place where players can go um, in their early part of their career, know that they, if they perform well, they're in the shot market and they have a club that supports them. So, yeah, it's frustrating. And, yeah, it's dis- uh, it can disenfranchise the younger generation. But also there should be some uh, concept of, of, of where we stand in the whole situation of global football and appreciate that in the grand scheme of things, Adelaide United and Australian football is, is smaller than the other markets. And, and this will always be the case. If you put the club first, you will always be happy. You might not be happy with that we're bottom or, you know, second last season, but if you, if you believe in your club and if you love your club, they will always bring you enough joy in your lifetime um, to make you content. If you're just there to see player X or player Y play, it's just not going to happen for you. I'm, I'm sorry to be so blunt. Uh, it is the way it is, and uh, it's very important that uh, we are as blunt as we are sometimes when we uh, try and delineate the uh, inner workings of uh, issues that, supporters often have uh, with a club the size that ours is. Um, now, Jite emphasised the point in your article that he believes if he hadn't have moved on Goodwin and Isaias last year, that there wouldn't have been room for a ride on agree this season. Uh, rather than discussing who we can get, let's talk about who we already have and who can potentially fill Riley's boots. So, surely Stephen Moore and James Tracy is a combined pair, albeit staying healthy, have it in them to accomplish this. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, definitely, definitely. But it's the staying healthy bit which is uh, key to to that part. Um, Stefan Mork is more likely to play out a whole year over James Troisi. I mean, we, we saw how good James can be um, when he's fit, but he's got to be fit, you know. And his track record over the last few years has suggested that there's always two three or four week spells where he's on the sidelines. It was more for Adelaide last season. Of course, he didn't play post-COVID shutdown and he missed a substantial amount before that too. Um, so he has to stay fit and so does Stefan. Um, but I think, you know, Stefan plays the box-to-box role really well. I think if you see James slot into that more preferred number 10, that's that's a good attacking option. And Louis DeRigo, of course, is the holding midfielder. Well, he'll only get better from here. And having one season under his belt will only put him in good stead for next year. So I think I think you can argue as a whole three. Um, they 
could potentially alleviate the gap left by Riley's departure. Individually, though, I think Riley is above above them, and that's um, that's something you can't replace. That little bit of individual brilliance, but you know, as a three, they are very good starting midfield three. There's no ifs or buts about it. And you know, look, and Nathan Constantopoulos is no mug either. He's just been a bit unlucky, you know, a few injuries and whatever. But when he's played consistently, he's played, he's performed pretty well. So he's not a bad option either. And he'll be coming back from um, injury. Of course, um, the club re-signed him for another year following his ACL. So he'll be hungry to, to show that he deserves another opportunity and a bigger contract. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable that we've got that sorted. Beautiful. Uh, so let's talk a bit about Spiro the fan rather than the reporter. Um, the club is certainly close to your heart. Uh, tell us about it, the experiences you've had as an Adelaide United fan over the years and what the club means to you. Oh, mate. I mean, where do I begin? Um, you know... From the beginning. I'll take you right back. So I actually grew up as a West Adelaide uh, shark supporter. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, they were, they were Hellas and then they were the Sharks and uh, I think they had a few other quirky names for, over there and... I used to go with my late father to Highmarsh, me and, you know, three and a half thousand other people um, to watch West Adelaide usually lose, but, you know, <laughs> occasionally we'd get a win. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when the Sharks folded um, at the end, I reckon it was 1999. I want to say 1999. Um, I, you know, a few of my mates jumped ship to Adelaide City, but I just didn't have it in me. Like, I, you know, West Adelaide and Adelaide City were big rivals and I, I just could not support the Zebras. I think I was a force at that point. Um, so I stopped going. Uh, but I always said to myself, if a team, if another Adelaide team comes in and they're representative of the whole state rather than one community or one ethnic portion of, of South Australia, not that I have an issue with that, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, but um, I said I would get on board. And, you know, Adelaide United provided that and I became a season ticket holder pretty much from day one in fact my my membership number is less than a less than a thousand so I mean I was in the first thousand people to get a season ticket I've held on to it um I started um I shouldn't say I started I, I along with some uh, close friends of mine started uh, gate 59 back in the day in uh, which was the supporters group in the southern end um we stopped after um uh, the stand came to the southern end and they joined us and then they went back and became the Red Army and after that we, we stopped. But um, So, you know, we had a supporters group in the early days. I've been sitting in the southern stand ever since and, I, you know, it's it's the highlight of my, my summer, um, going to watch the Reds play. And, you know, there's been some fantastic moments at Highmarsh. You know, I, I remember the first FFA Cup win and hugging you know my 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 friends and my brothers who sit next to me and and in fact one complete stranger too um you know winning that first ffa cup was immense going and watching them play um melbourne victory um the day that bruce kamau scored in the 89th minute you know that was bedlam i I mean i i I still i still see the people that i was around occasionally out and about and you know there's these awkward smiles of do you remember when I kissed you on the cheek and, you know, just that, that sort of, you know, that sort of acknowledgement that we were there that day. So, you know, I, I love it. And, you know, I look, I, I, I'm i unashamedly uh, an Adelaide United fan, first and foremost. I don't think I've ever hidden that from my opinion pieces. You know, I've been criticised for that online and 
and fair enough. Look, I, you know, I, but I, I don't hide it. I, I actually wear it as a badge of honour. And you know, I'm I'm in a I'm in a fortunate position where I get to write my opinions about Adelaide United, uh, and um, I've um, been given that opportunity, and it's something I love. But I'm unashamedly a fan first. So um, I've always said though, if there's if there's something to criticise them about, I won't I won't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. But I, I do love my Reds, mate. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hide you, uh, hide that fact. So it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey watching the Reds and now having the ability to, to um, write about them. Obviously, we uh, hosted a radio show before I wrote for In Daily, which we, you know, uh, did for about four and a half years, and we thoroughly enjoyed that. And we hope that, um, we hope that we provided the public with uh, a decent soccer show where people could come and get. Good A League news and NPL news and most definitely um, that, yeah, thank you. And you know, it's a shame that ended, but you know, we were volunteers, and you know, I I've got uh, a very young family, and a lot of my co-hosts had young families and other obligations, so it just got very hard. But um, we thoroughly enjoyed that, and you know, they've provided all these opportunities. You know, these opportunities have come to me because of my my love for Adelaide United. So one way I have to thank them, um, in a weird way, um, and I you know. I won't write for Indaddy forever. Um, I won't uh, commentate forever, but I, I will always be an Adelaide United fan. And, you know, that's just, you know, part and parcel of uh, of loving the game and, and you know, having a local team like Adelaide United and, and being, you know, passionate about them. So. That's a special thing indeed. Uh, I just want to ask, aside from the obvious moments over the years, uh, do you have any particular memories that come flooding back when we uh, talk about our longevity as supporters of the club? Um, do I have any? Well, most, the most of the ones that immediately come to mind are the ones where I uh, probably shouldn't mention, but you know, there's, <laughs> been some absolute, there's been some absolute cracker moments when Melbourne Victory have um, visited, you know, and we sit, uh, we sit near, near them in the Southern Stand and there's been some moments where I've you gone, that's just crazy. But, you know, a lot of that stopped now, which is good. Um, you know, that's not a positive. I don't encourage it at all, but that's what immediately comes to my mind. Um, what can I think of that's happened that's a bit quirky apart from the obvious ones? I I remember once when it was the old NSL season, um, it was my job to start the chanting on the day. And we used to do, you know, give me a G, give me an A, give me a T, give me an E, give me a five, give me an I, and then, welcome everybody welcome uh, and i got to g and i got to a and then my voice broke <laughs> so i couldn't even finish Oops. the first chart and I, and I was done for the day so uh it, it just i gave it all i had and my voice just went so there's been some hilarious moments like that um you know uh, but off the top of my head mate apart from that crazy moment you know there's just you know i i remember um, Angelo Costanzo are going absolutely bonkers at Robert Cornthwaite one day for not defending properly. And it, it, you could hear him from where we were sitting, just calling him every name under the sun. And I'm sorry, Ange and, and Rob, if you <laughs> catch this to raise that. Um, you know, um, there was the one time that um, we were playing the Champions League and uh, one of the players from the opposition uh, faked an injury and he was off the pitch. And when he realised he was off the pitch, rolled onto the pitch and all the fans just I remember that. It to him. Yeah, just absolutely 
faking him, you know, just little crazy things like that. Memories, you know, that will last a lifetime. And, you know, catching up with mates uh, before the game and having a, a quiet beer and a, and a schnitzel at, at the local nearby and, and you know, going to the game and, you know, hugs and, you know, anger and just the whole gamut of emotions. It, it's just been a fantastic journey. So Beautiful stuff, mate. Well, we best finish on a slightly more professional note. So I have to ask you... Uh, <laughs> How do you see everything taking shape over the next few weeks and months, both in terms of the health of the club and what the league will look like as a whole when the new season begins to finally approach, whenever that will yeah. be? Look, yeah, look, let, let, let's address the club first. Um, and I'm glad you raised this, Ellis, because there's, there's a, a couple of points I'd like to make here. Um, first on, on Pete Vanderpol. Pete Vanderpol is a smart operator. He's an astute operator. Um, he doesn't strike me as the person that would throw good money after bad. He saw the potential in Adelaide United, and that's why him and his investors purchased the club. And, and you know, this, this whole discussion of who owns the club and whatever, the owner is Pete Vanderpol, and Pete Vanderpol has people behind him. He's explained it several times. He's on the record as saying it, you know, and, and you know, it frustrates me that there's this continuous who owns Adelaide United. He's right there in front of you. Um, so I, I, I don't think he would purchase Adelaide United if he didn't know that he could sustain it. So I'm not concerned about Adelaide United's health in a financial sense. The club is being run quite well. Like most um, A-League soccer clubs, it is run uh, on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, the guys and girls that work there do tremendous job. Um, a lot of them... Um, do dual roles, match day roles, and, you know, their jobs behind the scenes. So they, they work very hard. They definitely earn their money, let me tell you. Um, so I, I'm not concerned with Adelaide United. Um, you know, the COVID thing hurt the bottom bottom line, no doubt about it. Selling these players will help that. It'll keep the club sustainable for the short term. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not even worried about the long term. I, I, I just, you know, unless something catastrophic happened, um, I can't see the license being given back for a while. Um, bold thing to say on the record. We'll see where this goes in ten years. But I, I'm very confident in in Pete Vanderpol and his consortium and and you know their ambitions for this club. Now, where the league is as a whole, mate, the the reality is who knows? Who knows? I mean, we don't even know who's running the A League right now. You know, it was meant to be the clubs. Right. Has it transferred? We don't know. I don't think it has. I still think it's in the purview of the FFA. But I, we just don't know. What we know is the season is going to start at the end of December. We know that because um, the Foxtel contract uh, says it must start this year. Otherwise, they'll be in breach of contract. And there is no way the FFA is going to risk losing that money. Um, there is so much happening in Australian football right now that it's at a crossroads again. And it is scary because we seem to get here every decade or so, don't we? And we always wonder, will it survive? And there's every reality, there's every possibility that it won't. Uh, and some clubs will go under. I mean, I think Central Coast is in a world of hurt, you know, and they're a club with a, with a great history and they don't deserve to be moved or wound up. But, you know, there's a strong chance they will be. Um, so the reality is that until we get some clarity from the FFA, um, and the A-League, we just don't know, and the owners. But we've seen some obscenely crazy things in the last couple months, you know, and it is peak A-League. It is just peak A-League. I mean, you look at you look at poor Andrew Naboo, who signed a contract with 
Perth Glory. Couldn't get over because of the uh, border situation. Well, that's what's on the record. But I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Sage said to me, mate, we can't afford you anymore. You know, like uh, things like that. Just, you know, cra- crazy little things that always make, you know, uh, the Australian game take two steps back after taking one step forward. Having Having said that, though, I think that James Johnson, who's the new CEO of the Football Federation of Australia, is the right guy uh, in charge in this moment. Um, he's, he understands the game. He's got some clear ideas and some clear pathways. And I think he's the right person for the job. And I, if there was, you know, if Gallup was still around, and I didn't dislike David Gallup, I, I think he got uh, burnt out towards the end and obviously made some poor errors of judgments, especially around the, um, uh, supporters groups and fans. Um, if, but if, if Gallup was around still, I'd be more concerned than I am about the future of the game. I think James Johnston, Johnson understands the game because he's an ex-player. He's been involved in the, the politics of Australian soccer. He's been around it and understands the culture. Uh, of course, he will always protect his organisation first, but I think he gets it from a fan and club perspective. So I, I'm mildly confident that we'll get through this, but it just happens too much here in Australian soccer. And, and I have to say that we are our own worst enemy. You know, there's, you know, people, people always like to talk about the time, you know, that um, the Socceroos didn't um, qualify for the 1998 World Cup and that, you know, the AFL popped a bottle of champagne and this and that. It doesn't matter what the AFL do. It doesn't matter what the NRL do. It doesn't matter what Cricket Australia does or Netball Australia or whatever. It matters what we do as a sport, and we are always our worst enemy. There are too many people in this game in Australia who want to sabotage it. You know, and even if you look at forums and stuff like this, and I don't want to be hypercritical of fans and, 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 and people involved in the game and volunteers because in the end we're the lifeblood, right? But, you know, you look at fan forums and stuff like that, if Adelaide United miraculously won the World Cup, there would be people out there who would still find something to criticise them about. Oh, they only beat Brazil 4-0, it should have been 6. You know, people just cannot see, um, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. And sometimes you just got to go, I'm just going to be positive. And there's a lot of things to be positive about. There's a lot of things to be negative about. But, you know, there are people out there who just live and breathe to sabotage this game. And it's a real shame. It's a real shame. And I remind everybody, the last sort of comments that um, the Lowry family made before they exited the FFA was, you know, careful what you wish for. Uh, They saw the writing on the wall uh, and it's kind of eventuated to some degree. Now, there is an argument that they led us here, sure, but they could kind of see what was going on. So, you know, we've got to be smarter as as a community. We're too fractured. Um, you know, people always wanting to see others fail or, or what have you. We need to come together a lot more. And, you know, if we came together, um, I'm not one of these people that uh, believe that um, soccer can become the number one sport in Australia. I, you know, I'm realistic about that. But my goodness, if we came together, we could be a force. But we're our own worst enemy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love your passion, mate, and you're right. Uh, as an industry, we've kicked so many own goals over the past, however long you want to put a number on there. But uh, look, before, just just in closing, I just want to bring you up on a few things. So just firstly, concerning the chairman, Pierre Vanderbilt, um, certainly a valid point that you make. Uh, I think 
he strikes me as someone with uh, very good business acumen. I think the only reason the narrative exists about, you know, who owns Adelaide United is probably down to the fact that he's just not much of a front man at all. And it's his prerogative mm-hmm. to be that way. I mean, you know, if you look at Tony Sage, love or hate him, he's uh, very much right, you know, front centre of every camera as soon as there's a breaking story. He's all over his own social media, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Uh, you know, Pierre Vanderpol seems to be this uh, type of figure that will leave it to the likes of the uh, CEO, Nathan Cosmina and Bruce Gutte. Doesn't do a whole lot of talking, doesn't do a whole lot of addressing when it comes to, uh, you know, the heat of the moment type stories that break. Um, you know, if I bring you back to Kurz and the whole saga there, uh, we sort of didn't get anything out of him until he uh, met up with the advertiser and gave a, a really long Q&A. I just felt like, if anything, that kind of, uh, you know, didn't do him any good because he wasn't there to uh, give his point of view straight away and uh, just be strong on things. So I think if there's any, you know, reason to criticise, I think that's the only reason why perhaps this um, there's this want for certain media circles to, uh, you know, kettle that, that story, which maybe isn't there, like you say. I mean... You know, these investors, are, a lot of clubs that exist out there, we don't know who owns them. I mean, Melbourne Victory, we don't, we don't know the individuals that own Melbourne Victory. Um, so. 50 of them, by the way. Exactly right. So, you know, it, it probably isn't a story and it's very insignificant to, to bring up, you know, these investors yep. who haven't been named. But I just think if there's any sort of Achilles heel that uh, Piet may have, it's that, uh, that lack of being yep. blunt and uh, on the front foot with the media. Um, the only, only other thing I want to uh, ask you, Spiro, is summer winter. Yeah, look, I, <laughs> uh, dear, I'm a summer person. Um, look, I hate sitting out in the blistering hot sun um, at High Marsh getting cooked. You know, I, I don't love it, and the fixturing has to be better. But we've done winter before, and it's a death by a thousand cuts, in my opinion. You're going to lose people to AFL. That's the reality of it. And, you know, yes, it's a winter sport. I get it. But I think staying aligned with the European winter makes sense to me. Just, you know, even even with bringing players in and out. And it the market is not as flooded as it is in winter. I mean, you look at, you know, winter sports in Adelaide, you know, it's it's predominantly covered by the Crows and the Power. You know, the Adelaide United media team, you know, um, they struggle as it is to get, you know, decent media coverage in summer. Imagine trying to go up against the Crows or the Power who might be, you know, in the top eight and going for a premiership as the Power are now. Go the Tigers. Um, so, um, sorry, just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, you know, I, so I think for me it's it has to say summer. Um it's going to be winter, though. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. Um, and you know, what makes you say I, that? I, well, I think the FFA is going to use the COVID situation as a way to to get to it. So we're seeing the season will start later uh, this year. It'll end later. I think uh, Jitte said on um, Twitter the other day that it will finish around June. Obviously, twenty twenty two is the Qatar World Cup, which is in November. And I think the FFA will use that as an excuse to do a calendar year rather than a financial year season, so Australian winter rather than European winter. And I think it will just roll from there. That's my gut feeling. And they'll use the World Cup and COVID as the 
uh, way through to, to, to make that decision without saying we've actually changed the season of the competition. They will use COVID and the World Cup as the reason why they've changed the season and they won't change it back. That's my feeling. And, and you know, I, I, I get soccer is played better in cooler conditions, but, you know, fixturing is, is uh, a big bugbear of mine. And I respect that, you know, you've got to keep, your sponsors and broadcasters happy you know that's where the money the main money is Foxtel have had a big influence on on where the um, games are played and at what time and stuff like that but what's plainly obvious now is that Foxtel no longer sees the A-League in its future and maybe the FFA need to grasp uh, grasp uh, the concept that they won't have Foxtel there and do better fixturing um, and just quickly on the TV rights, if you know, guys, if, if people watching think that Optus is going to take over the A-League, um, that is highly unlikely. There was a big kerfuffle within the FFA when um, 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 Chris Niku took over as chairman and they sidestepped a few of the board members. And one of the board members that was sidestepped is now the CEO of Optus and she's not going to want to give the A-League any opportunities. So they have to be creative. They have to be creative because I can't see Foxtel renewing the deal unless it's for stupid cheap. I really I, I've, uh, I can tell you for a fact they won't renew, but uh, you've opened the can of worms. What's going to happen with that now? Who knows? Who knows? And maybe the FFA needs to consider a subscriber uh, platform of their own. Uh, maybe they grasp back all football and maybe it's an annual fee of... A hundred dollars. I don't know. That's just a random figure, and you can get all your MPL live stream. You can get all from across all the states that offer it. You get your A League, you get your W League, you get your Socceroos. Um, you don't get any international uh, or overseas competitions, but it is purely a platform just for Australian soccer. But then you know you got to get commentators. You got to you got to have the production value too. So you know it's it's a big job, but maybe that's the way forward. You know, free to air. People say get it on free to air so more people can see it. I think the scars of what happened with Channel Seven still remain at FFA. You know, with they the buried NSL. the NSL. Yeah. yeah, they buried it at some obscene time. You know, eleven thirty for highlights. You know, and I and I think that still um, is an issue at FFA headquarters. They just are scared that they will get treated that way again by the major commercials. Does SBS have the finances to lure the A-League? Probably not. I mean, they've reduced their uh, their staff, you know, considerably, as, as have a lot of media outlets. You know, the, the advertiser does not have a dedicated football journalist right now. I mean, they, they've got the magnificent and highly talented Rob Greenwood, but, you know, he's not writing football anymore. He's doing an editor's role. So, you know, uh, but they're not alone in that space, and that's not a criticism of, of the advertiser. It's a News Corp decision. So... Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of things happening in that space, so it's going to be tough. But you know, maybe maybe the FFA has its own product, and where all Australian games are available <clears throat> across the multiple uh, competitions. You know, you could chuck in the Y League and whatever else. Um, but again, it comes down there has to be a decent production there, otherwise people aren't going to tune in. So many rabbit holes, Sparrow. It's been absolutely fascinating getting you on the show. Really enjoyed talking to you, mate. Keep doing the work that you do. The best independent coverage you'll get of the A-League and Adelaide United going around. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff, mate. Love your work and uh, make sure you keep that going. 
Uh, it's been great having you on the show, and uh, we look forward to hopefully uh, addressing the club during some uh, more certain times, let's say. Yeah, Ellis, I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. And, and sorry, can I can I just give a gratuitous plug to In Daily and and my editor at In Daily? I um, I'm not the type of guy that likes to go, you know, oh, here's a can of soda, everybody. But um, look, I have a fantastic editor at In Daily. He's um, very supportive of what I do. He's rarely, rarely says to me, "Don't think this has hit the mark." He trusts my judgment on what I think is interesting and conversational. Um, so I I have. Uh, to thank them for giving me this opportunity. And and I hope that people enjoy what I write. I, I know that it's Adelaide United focused, but I hope that, um, you know, you get something out of it when you read it. And, and you know, even if you disagree, I hope that it, 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 um, it, it gets you to a point where you are passionate about disagreeing with me, not just not liking my writing. So I hope, I hope that's what I'm providing. And, I you know, I'm not immune to criticism and I'd be happy to hear from people if they think that I've got something wrong, um, you know, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. But, you know, I, I hope that everyone um, is enjoying what I what I provide. So, and, and, and thank you so much for getting me on here, mate. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Absolutely. No worries at all. It's very okay. Because we don't get it anywhere else, mate. So uh, make sure you keep giving us your opinions. Uh, it's been great getting you on and uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you, Ellis. And uh, stay safe, everybody. All the best.